Welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt, herbalist, teacher, and best-selling author. I created this herbal podcast to share trusted herbal knowledge so that you can get the best results when using herbs for your health. I'm passionate about helping people discover the world of herbalism and natural health, and I'm excited to be your new guide. My goal is that you'll walk away from each episode feeling empowered, knowledgeable, and inspired to start working with herbs in your everyday life. Okay, let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt, and today I'm delighted to be here with Mark Williams. I've known of Mark for many years, and then a few years ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing him for our Wild Remedies docu-series while we were at the International Herbs Symposium. Mark has a very impressive background. He's an ethnobiologist who has studied the people, plant, mushroom, and microbe interconnection intensively while learning to employ botanicals and other life forms for food, medicine, and beauty in a regenerative manner. His training includes a bachelor's degree in environmental studies, concentrating in sustainable agriculture with a minor in business from Warren Wilson College and a master's degree in Appalachian studies, concentrating in sustainable development with a minor in geography and planning from Appalachian State University. He has spent over two decades working at a multitude of restaurants and various farms and has traveled throughout 30 countries in Central, North and South America and Europe, as well as all 50 states of the USA. Mark has visited over 200 botanical gardens and research institutions during this process, while taking tens of thousands of pictures of representative plants and other entities. He has taught hundreds of classes to thousands of students about the marvelous world of people and their interface with other organisms, while working with over 100 organizations and particularly as board of directors member of the United Plant Savers and online at the website www.botanyeveryday.com. Mark's greatest hope is that this effort may help improve our current challenging global ecological situation. Mark, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, although I've known of your work for many years, especially through Botany Every Day, I have to say that when I was reading your bio, I was struck by a couple of things. One was that we have a lot in common in terms of approaching plants through a lens of interconnectedness and interdependence, as well as loving to travel and take photos. But two, also as someone who really dives in and is obviously driven by a lot of passion and a lot of heart, and I would love to start by hearing how you found yourself on this plant path, because it obviously took a hold of you very strongly. Yes, it certainly has taken hold of me very strongly, and yet it's been a fairly crooked road and um, not something that really occurred until my adulthood. And um, yeah, I guess I would like to give credit to someone who I don't think I ever have on a recording, just in reflection, getting ready for this, that a lady who was Kathleen Beatley at the time, now Kathleen Carroll, she uh, was somebody I met in Gainesville, Florida, when I was there going to school. And she became kind of a big sister figure, introduced me to this whole community of amazing people. And also the concept of uh, this 10-day silent med retreat uh, called Vipassana, which happens all over the world. And as part of my first Vipassana 10-day meditation in, in 98, 
I got this insight that I really needed to know where the food that I was cooking came from. I'd always loved to cook food as a child even. And so um, had a number of different jobs. At that point, I was working at a place called Our Place Cafe. And they had a farm that was supplying them called Phoenix Rising Farm north of Gainesville back before that was so popular. And so, yeah, I started working at that farm. And a lady there named Laura, who was a co-worker, started showing me some of the plants probably a lot of your listeners would recognize, uh, the common weeds growing, you know, on the margins and talking about their general uses uh, as a wild edible or as a poultice for a bee sting or something like that. And that kind of clicked and combined with this um, piece in me, which I realized had been there kind of nascent or dormant since a child of loving plants, loving nature, that mainly manifested in the realms of like science fiction, like Tolkien and Dungeons and Dragons and thinking about wizards and elves. And I would play those kinds of games and was always like the wizard elf. And um, so then it just kind of clicked working with Laura at Phoenix Rising about, oh, you mean people do this for real? This isn't just like make-believe. And so I kind of just started delving and I was a very active learner already, going to the library, getting books and, and all that sort of stuff. But that led me also to um, also in the trail of Kathleen, go to the Omega Institute and work there in Rhinebeck, New York, upstate New York. And um, that's where I did some of my initial like first plant walks with actual, you know, professional plant walk people and and herbal classes. And shortly right around there, either before then or right after that, Juliet Blankespor, who's part of that same community with me and Kathleen, was already amazing <laughs> in the 90s. And um, so she kind of took me under her wing a little bit and started showing me stuff about making salves and these types of things. And um, fairly shortly after that, though, I moved to the Asheville, North Carolina area where I live now. And um, really kind of started putting these pieces together that I'd learned at Omega, in particular learning about Anna Marie Coleman and uh, the natural gourmet. And um, I really learned the idea of food as medicine, I would say, uh, through, through that connection. And so started just continuing to read, putting things together. I was working on a farm. I was working at a restaurant and started to really try to kind of just basically learn the plants around me and grow as many as I could. And also started to evolve this concept that I still work with today of beauty being its own form of medicine. So for instance, a flower bouquet is a form of herbalism, mm -hmm. right? And um, so I was growing flowers to the restaurant, for instance, and stuff like that. And so I, just a little bit to just say in my backstory, I was raised my whole life to be an officer in the military until I was an adult. I went to college with four-year ROTC scholarship and everything. And so it really was a big break from that to, to enter this realm, but it kind of all solidified within that couple few years. And by 2002, I was going to Warren Wilson and, and pretty firmly on the path. I would say a little bit before that though, and something that has probably been the biggest, most profound influence of my whole life was uh, connecting with Frank Cook. Hmm. And Frank Cook being an herbalist that traveled all over the world, learned from different healers, in that process, wrote a lot about his journeys and mentored a lot of people, including myself. There is actually a whole website dedicated to Frank Cook and his work that I have been a big part in uh, producing and upkeeping, which is plantsandhealers.org. If anybody wants to go further down the path 
with uh, Frank and, and his journey and everything that he left for us to learn from, because he passed away in 2009, um, almost 13 years ago uh, on August 19th, it'll be 13 years or 12 years. But anyway, <laughs> that's been kind of a, a big part of the path, but I would say beyond that, um, the schooling that you mentioned in my bio, uh, the travels, lots of books, you got hundreds of books on plants and um, lots of conferences as well, which uh, like last time I saw you at the IHS, the International Herbal Symposium being an example. Wow, thanks for sharing all that. I feel like you've, I love all that kind of like unfolding and going further down your path and you've shared so much. And I'd have to say, I'm like still stuck on the fantasy fiction being a part of it just because I love that. Um, another thing that we have in common, it makes me wonder how many people, you know, found that like, oh, this is real. <laughs> you can do this in your right. life. So yeah. yeah, I'm also really glad that you brought up uh, Frank Cook. I figured that you would. And, you know, for people who don't know Frank Cook, he was incredibly inspiring to so many people and uh, definitely check out plantsandhealers.org and, um, and find out more about him. It's so important to learn from those who came before us. And, um, and there's a lot there and a lot of work has gone into to recording a lot of his teachings. So glad that you mentioned that as well. Well, uh, let's move on to your chosen plant for today. This is easily one of my favorite plants. I love it because it's so practical. It's food, it's medicine, but I also love it because it has a lot of teachings for us as humans. I think all plants do, but there's something that really resonates in me with dandelion. So let's dive in by starting with why you love dandelion and why you chose dandelion for today. Okay. Well, I love dandelion for a lot of things that you mentioned. And, um, you know, for me, like a big influence in my life is this concept of permaculture, which hopefully people are familiar with. If you're not, then do us all a favor and go Google it and learn a li little bit about that, because that's really one of the most important things going in maintaining our place on this planet. But um, one concept within permaculture is this idea of stacking functions and kind of building, building, building incrementally. And so I actually did a whole hour long presentation, PowerPoint and everything on Dandelion for the American Herbalist Guild this spring and was just amazed. I mean, I've, I've loved the plant for practically decades now, but it just was mind blowing and spending I don't even know how many 20, 30, 40 hours getting ready for this one hour presentation on reading the literature on dandelion and something that you think that you know so well and is so, you know, yeah, been there, done that, right? But um, I, I'm excited to keep doing that presentation because I actually ran out of time, you know, to like keep reading the literature. And um, so that was kind of also part of the inspiration here is to just kind of keep that ball moving forward un poco a poco, a little by little. What is there something that sticks out in your mind of like that surprised you when you were prepping for that and in the research? Oh, something that surprised me. I mean, definitely a number of things, but a lot of good cancer research out of Canada on dandelion. Um, clinical uses of very easy preparations like aqueous extracts, you know, like making a tea basically uh, was uh, one of the bigger things. And um, yeah, just the traditions of dandelion all around the world as well that are out there. Also, a lot of people think of dandelion as an exotic invasive, but there are actually a number of native species to North America. And there's 
debate, but it seems like it's probably the fact now that even the tracks come efficient now, the kind of classic dandelion that we think of, there are potentially native populations in North America. But there are a ton of other species and a lot of importance to a lot of other people around the world. And that was probably the biggest surprise, how many other species there are and all the research that goes into, has gone into looking at them. Yeah, yeah if I was going to you know, anthropomorphized dandelion a bit, which I have no problem doing. I think of it as like a people plant because it does grow where we grow and it is so generous. And like, just in my relationship with dandelion, I love dandelion. Dandelion is so generous. It gives back to me. So it really feels like this, you know, give and take of reciprocal love there. And then I make as many wishes as I can when all the seed heads are out. So I'm helping to spread the dandelion and, um, and it just, it really is amazing how many gifts that the whole plant has. So I'm wondering if you'd like to dive into that, what the gifts that you especially enjoy with dandelion. Oh gosh, so many. Um, maybe I'll just start from the bottom and work my way. <laughs> That's up. a good way to do it. Uh, right? And you got the roots. And for me, mostly the roots are about making a tea, um, occasionally roasting and making a kind of coffee-like substitute that's caffeine-free, um, brewing. I do a lot of brewing, making my own wine and beer mm. and use dandelion in that way, which I guess I would just say is a little contravailing because um, to skip ahead to the flowers, that's often what people talk about when they're talking about wine. But I found every single part to be very awesome. And, um, you know, thinking about from the biochemistry standpoint of that whole greater group, that family that dandelions are part of, the aster or sunflower family, uh, the inulin that's in there, the prebiotics, you know, those like good long chain, big sugars that help to feed our probiotics, our, our beneficial microbes in our microbiome. And um, yeah, then you I want to jump in there about that one, Mark, because I feel like that's just such a powerful thing right there. And I've been reading a lot lately about fiber and prebiotics and and looking at how a lot of research with these expensive probiotics are really like a shot in the dark. There's not a lot of actual like evidence that these expensive supplements really do dramatically change the microbiome. And moreover, there's not a lot of research even to say like, you know, there's so many different formulations, but like those formulations aren't necessarily studied and shown benefit, et cetera. But what we do know is one of the most powerful ways to change a microbiome, which is fairly plastic, you know, like you can do it in a pretty short amount of time is these prebiotics and fiber. And that is just so cool that dandelion root is rich in that. And um, actually the leaves have a higher inulin content. That is something I found in research, which just kind of blew my mind. Um, but the leaves and the root really high in this inulin, really high in just, you know, helping make our microbiome that much happier, which we're having this bigger and bigger understanding of how much that is a cornerstone to our overall health. So, um, yeah, so just a fabulous way to one of the many, many gifts of dandelion right there. True that. And thanks for bringing that up. It's always awesome talking with folks like yourself. Of course, there's always more to learn in this world. Like I said, I mean, I've spent so many hours on this plant and I, I hadn't come across the leaves being higher in inulin and I appreciate anything you want to forward to me from your research about dandelion and I'm happy to reciprocate because that's how we grow as a community. 
But um, the leaves are definitely, uh, just to kind of pick up where you left off, both in being high in inulin, of course, then they can also be an amazing food ingredient, right? And um, definitely putting them in salads. And I know um, as part of this process we're having together today, there's going to be a recipe people can access about putting dandelion into pesto. Uh, of course, making a tea um, would be another thing as well. And um yeah, I'm sure there's so much more, but I'll keep moving. I like to be a little whimsical too. I think of like, you know, we're, we did the roots of the leaves, of course, then you have the stalk that goes to the little flower and the stalk is hollow. It's like a little um, hollow tube. And so that can be like a kind of fun little thing too. It could be a straw, you know, lots of people are talking about how unsustainable straws are now when they're made of plastic and then they're making all this trash. So here you've got just a naturally occurring, very common plant that could be used in that way. You can also make some cool art if you like bisect that stem, it like peels open kind of like a flower in and of itself. And as I had said earlier, I'm really into aesthetics as being its own form of healing, beauty, especially in the form of food for celebrations, for memorials, for birthdays, for anniversaries. So that's something I might use as a little bit of whimsy. And then, of course, you get into the flowers. And um, I already mentioned wine, but you can certainly also put them in the tea. You can put them in a salad. You can use them as like a natural form of sprinkles, right, mm. instead of eating some kind of red number 40, blue lake, whatever, you can just like use lots of different things, dandelion being one that can bring a little color to a salad, to a cake, to cupcakes, to you name it. And then of course, you've got the classic thing a lot of people learn early once it's gone to seed of blowing it to make those sweet wishes for money, world peace, or lots of sweet kisses. As Doug <laughs> Elliott in his song about dandelions. Lovely, yeah. It just keeps on giving. Let's let's circle back to the leaves because we do want to highlight those and highlight the recipe. And um, yeah, so those leaves, we could just talk about so many things about the leaves and nutrients. We mentioned inulin, uh, but rich in so many wonderful minerals and uh, vitamins as well, which, you know, you think about comparing like a dandelion leaf to like iceberg lettuce. And it's like, <laughs> so really incomparable. Um, but of course they have a different taste, right? Dandelion leaves and iceberg lettuce do not taste the same, even though they can be used the same in culinary ways uh, in terms of salad greens, et cetera. Um, but let's talk about the taste of those dandelion leaves. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, that's such a fascinating little realm to explore. It sounds simple, but definitely a big influence on me once again with Frank Cook is this conceptualization of bitter in particular, and how we have eschewed oftentimes in the richer parts of the world, this flavor of bitter, you know, in favor of basically salt, sugar, and fat, and a whole lot of protein. And how, you know, most of our great medicines have these uh, components of bitter and some of that medicine, of course, in detoxification and aiding digestion, um, in particular, benefiting the gallbladder and the liver and kidney system. And um, yeah, I guess with Frank in that conception, he really got me with this idea of needing to reclaim bitter, right? And to, um, at the same time, a professor of mine, Warren Wilson, kind of checked me because I was really infatuated with that uh, when I was doing a walk for him one time. He's like, 
Well, bitter can also mean that you're going to die, you know, so it's like really important. It kind of gets into the core piece of a lot of my work is looking at plants by families. And I already introduced that concept with the dandelion being part of the aster, the sunflower family. But the short of the long of it being that the bitters that are in the aster and sunflower family tend to be more towards this beneficial side, although not always, um, versus bitters that are in, say, what's called the nightshade family or um, the buttercup family. Um, some families like that where it's really like tends to be very strong medicine, very low dose medicine to potentially deadly poisonous. Yeah, so those leaves, they're, they're bitter, then that bitter is great for us because it is like a workout for our digestive system and getting things prepped for digestion. Um, it's kind of strengthening and toning digestion is another way I think about it as well. And then, then we get the added benefit of the inulin like we talked about as well. So it's an incredible digestive herb really in so many ways, but that is like that really blurs the line between food and medicine. Because if you make a dandelion leaf pesto, you could certainly eat it like food, but there's no denying that it's medicine as well on a level. And um, as Mark said, for the listeners, you know, as you probably know by now, I love to share recipes when we talk about these plants because recipes are really a wonderful way for you to get involved and create your own experience with herbs. Because it's one thing to listen about the amazing gifts of dandelion, but this entirely other thing to form your own relationship with this plant through your own observations, through your own tending, and then of course your own tasting when appropriate. And I love dandelion pesto. It is one of my most favorite things. And what I love about pesto is that there's so many different ways to do pesto and Mark's dandelion pesto recipe is fabulous. You can download your recipe card by heading over to herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. There you'll also find show notes, including direct links to Mark's important work and a transcript of this interview. All right, Mark, so we've talked about the wonderful gifts of the roots, the leaves, the stems, the flowers. One thing I wanna talk about before we move on is knowing how to identify dandelion. Cause I feel like a lot of people think like, I know dandelion, it grows everywhere, but there's actually some lookalikes out there. And I know that you have um, quite a history background and focus in botany. So I was wondering if you just Mention some key features of identifying dandelion and deciphering them between dandelion lookalikes. Sure, I'd be happy to. I do want to jump back just a little bit before that sure. too around the kind of the recipe, the pesto, the bitter. One thing I'll say is that I definitely grew up with the standard American diet, which the acronym is SAD, SAD, for the reasons I was just talking about. Couldn't stand bitter. And now nothing is too bitter for me practically, other than maybe andrographis, I think is the one thing I've found. But um, dandelion is not really bitter to me. And some people talk about harvesting it at its least bitter state, but um, that's definitely something that I don't even think about. And that, um, this is something I'm just working out, but this idea that if things are more bitter then they might be more medicinal too, I'm kind of, wondering about that and of course that might not hold fast across all plants but I've wondered about with some of these digestive bitters as well but just really wanting to hit home this need to embrace bitter and of course then to fold into this idea of pesto more as a genre than as an exact recipe that's another thing I totally picked up on from Frank Cook this idea that um, pesto basically means paste in Italian and most people are familiar with it now, but they might think of it as basil, pine nuts, parmesan, 
olive oil, you know, and, and there we go. But Frank really taught me to think of pesto as any green, any nutter seed, any oil, cheese or no cheese. And I've had amazing pestos in particular, they're dairy free for anybody that's wondering about that. But you can select from a whole lot of other greens uh, to mix in with your dandelions. And we have some examples on the recipe that can help kind of offset that bitter if that's a thing for you. Um, but I would say to maybe work over time to attenuate yourself to bitter because there's so many gifts that that flavor can give. And um, yeah, thinking about just the botany of dandelion and, and the identification of it, there are a number of really helpful ideas. One is that dandelion is always going to have leaves that, I'm trying to figure out this camera, dandelions have leaves that are always flat on the ground, right? So a lot of plants, they'll send up a flowering stalk and then they'll have leaves on that flowering stalk. Dandelion will never have that, but there are some lookalikes to dandelion that will have leaves on the flowering stalk. Another thing is dandelion sends up a flowering stalk and then there's just one little flower on the top of that stalk. A number of lookalikes to dandelion will go up and then they'll branch off and there'll be multiple flowers that look like dandelion, but all on that one stalk. Another thing is that the dandelions tend to be smooth. They might have like a little bit of hairiness here and there, but there are a number of different lookalikes to dandelions. Those leaves that are on the ground will be very, very fuzzy. Chicory would be a classic example of that. When chicory is not flowering, it can be very hard for people to tell it apart from dandelion, but it is super hairy and dandelion is pretty much smooth. So those are some examples, um, certainly looking at the edge of um, the leaves and, and that particular kind of toothiness. Of course, dandelion comes from the French, don't de lion, the uh, tooth of the lion, right? And so looking at those different kinds of teeth and how they tend to be pretty big and, and jagged with the dandelion versus maybe some lookalikes might have smaller teeth or no teeth at all. And they might have a broken up margin, but it will be more rounded. Um, but smooth, not like kind of pointed on the edge. I'm sure there's some others, but I think with those alone, you can mm -hmm. pretty much tell it apart from most of the lookalikes. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, and mentioning the Dantelion from French, um, I was surprised the first time I went to France with my husband and um, and his mom was telling me about you know, how she's always harvested dandelions in the springtime. They live in the Alps. The, the food there is super rich in the wintertime. You know, we're talking creams and potatoes and cured meats and stuff, those traditional foods. And so it was a big deal. Like as soon as the dandelions came up in the springtime, that was like everybody went and harvested those greens. This is part of you know, part of the tradition. But I was it was interesting to me that they didn't call them dantelion. Um, Peace only. Yeah, they call them Peace only, which sounds so pretty, but it like really means like pee in the bed which is yeah. a good thing to mention when eating lots of dandelion leaves, they are diuretic. So you might notice that there's that, um, but it, that's also in itself kind of a cleansing effect of the dandelion. And um, and what's interesting too, is that a lot of pharmaceutical uh, diuretics actually help you make you excrete a lot of potassium. And in dandelion leaves, there's a lot of potassium and it doesn't have that same effect. So it's kind of a another nature wins in that category. Yeah, with the pharmaceutical diuretics, you have to have to take a potassium supplement, but with mm -hmm. the dandelion, it's already built in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, 
one of the things I really love about this podcast is finding out what things that my guests are working on because there's so many creative and, and fun projects going out there. So I would love to hear you know what's on your mind these days, what you're working on. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, lots of things always. And uh, I would say the first one that comes to mind is United Plant Savers. I'm on the board of directors of the United Plant Savers, which is a conservation organization trying to preserve the heritage of particularly medicinal plants, mostly in North America, although we're extending that out to a more global standpoint. And so I've been doing a lot of work with them with their at-risk list, which we are kind of uh, updating. It's been around for quite a while. And um, also things with diversity and inclusion, which I would kind of extend that out broader to my work in general. That's kind of a big part of the cutting edge of my work is really honoring the traditions of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color and uh, lifting up the, the names and the traditions of often overlooked areas of herbal knowledge. And um, yeah, so that's, that's really big in, in every realm that I, that I act on. And uh, I think, you know, certainly always excited about my online class that I do, Botany Every Day, which is another thing I inherited from Frank. He did it for nine years and did it for 12 years now. And um, got my newest class that's coming up that's on exotic invasive plants, which is a huge subject unto itself that I'll try not to go off the rails about because I've spent hundreds of hours of my life on it. And um, I know it's really big. So maybe we can follow up on that if you're interested. But I think like kind of the biggest thing for me is working towards having my own school, which has been a long held dream for a long time. And so the goal for that is to start up with that next spring in 2022. And um, yeah, just kind of putting the, all the pieces together around that, which has been a very humbling and, and slow going process, but it feels like it's finally about to come to fruition soon. Oh, that is so exciting. I'm so happy to hear that, Mark. I know you just have so much to give, so much um, dirt time, as they say, behind you and so many gifts to share. So that I'm so happy to hear that. You'll definitely have to let me know um, as that develops, because I would love to, to share that with everyone again to make sure that people know um, about your, your blossoming school. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you. Well, with um, the last question we have is one that I'm asking all of my guests in season one, and it's been um, an important question for me, and it's been really good to hear all the answers and um, just all, all these different takes on it. So the last question for you, Mark, is with all of the challenges that we're facing today, what are some ways that herbs instill hope in you? Well, I'm going to pick up off of where I left off in, in the last one with this idea of exotic invasives and um, once again, try to kind of keep it clear and concise uh, because it's a very polarized subject. But I would say that um, basically kind of going off of David Winston, another very famous and renowned herbalist of North America, I think he has this class that says um, the worst weeds could be your best medicine or um, Doug Elliott, who I mentioned earlier, has a class, Weeds for Your Needs. And so this idea, you know, going, hearkening back to dandelion, that some of the most common plants have all of these like superpowers that are right there at your doorstep. 
and this idea of embracing that and teaching people to embrace that and seeing this awakening in society of people that have an interest in that regard and kind of flipping the script on just looking at these things as problems and um, in the parlance of permaculture, which I mentioned earlier, turning a problem into a resource potentially which a lot of these things potentially can be. Not to say that they can't be big problems too. So I just wanna be clear on that. I love native plants and, um, and I definitely don't, you know, tend to garden with things that people would consider invasive. Although that is a, a bit of a blurry line across, as you might imagine, hundreds of different species. And I think that's a big part of the problem in the polarization is kind of like narrowing it down to just like A versus B, black versus white. That, um, you know, these things are complicated, right? So embracing that complication has given me hope. In particular with exotic invasives, I've been really getting into the work of Matthew Chu, who's a PhD down at Arizona, Arizona State University. Um, lots of other folks closer to you, Tao Ryan, is up there in the Pacific Northwest, has a book called Beyond the War on Exotic Invasive Species. So kind of reframing that is something that certainly has been helpful. But I definitely would say too that like, you know, so often, at least in my conception of it, especially thinking about the mainstream society or something with herbalism, people are often thinking about, you know, okay, so what pill, what potion, what tonic, what tincture, what tea, what, you know, thing do I need to do, you know, in order to get the effect. And um, probably the biggest medicinal thing for me and last year, which was literally one of the worst years, it was probably the worst year of my whole adult life last year. And um, just working in the garden, not expecting anything from it other than maybe some beauty from the flowers and to take pictures of those, but not with this end goal of, um, for instance, like what can I extract to make a tea or a tincture or whatever, and bringing in lots of native plants, once again, that I have no particular use or application for, was so soothing to my soul. Just every single day of last year, I worked on building this native plant garden where I live and probably have you know, at least 60, 70 or more species in a space that's not much more than a hundred feet by a hundred feet or so. And um, it's been interesting too, like to flip the script on it, we have these exotic invasives in there, like Microstegium would be an example, which is a scientific name for uh, stiltgrass out of Asia. And um, when I worked on removing that and also um, another invasive bittersweet. And then there are some natives that were kind of bullies and weeds in there too, like um, golden ragwort and um, a plant called wingstem. Uh, I removed those. And like I said, no like end goal thinking, okay, well, I, I want this to be, you know, a medicine garden. But then once there was space made, I love the saying, nature adores a vacuum. So in that space comes Hypericum punctatum, the native St. John's wort, you know, that is like, now it's kind of like a weed in the garden. And I'm like, oh my God, I mean, St. John's wort, native no less as a weed in the garden is just mind blown, you know, just to see how, if we can help and work and have this reciprocity and, and co-creation 
that a lot of it will happen of its own accord as well, that it's not all on us in order to kind of meet those ends that we desire. Well, thank you again, Mark. Thanks for sharing how herbs instill hope in you. That was a beautiful sharing. And thanks for taking the time to be here today and, and to share um, your knowledge with all of us. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. I've appreciated your work from afar for many years. And um, yeah, just really appreciate you reaching out to have me on here. And I hope that we can meet up together again down the line, probably uh, hopefully in person as well some conference somewhere, sometime. Yeah, I look forward to that, Mark. Thank you very much. For the listeners, don't forget to head over to herbswithrosaliepodcast.com to get free access to Mark's dandelion pesto recipe. Also available are the complete show notes, including the transcript. Hey, thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. And if you're a new listener, thanks for checking out the show And don't forget that you can find all the recipes, links, and show notes over at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. While you're there, you can subscribe and get updates when new episodes release, and even submit your requests for future podcast episodes. The world needs more people who are connected to the earth and the healing gifts of plants. I'm so glad that you're here for this adventure. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Rising Appalachia for the use of their beautiful song, Resilience. Listen to more from Rising Appalachia at risingappalachia.com.